Welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the gory films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a quintessential 90s shot-on-video horror film, and that's one of Hugh Gallagher's gore trilogy, 1994's Gore Horror. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1994's Gore Horror nowhere online. This is going to be a VHS Blu-ray exclusive, if you can find it. Yeah, I have a bootleg VHS from like the original release, but I, I know you can get reissues. The, the original VHS, like the legit VHS, goes for crazy money. Because I assume this got a very limited release when it initially came out. But anyhow, let's talk about the movie. So I mentioned this was directed and written by a guy named Hugh Gallagher. Uh, he is most famous for doing a trio of these movies in the 90s. Um, Gorgasm in 1990, Gore Erotica in 1993, and Gore Horror in 1994. After that, he kind of left directing, it looks like, and just produced films for Jess Franco like the Spanish-French cult director. It just seems like a really odd career turn. But this was your first and only interaction with Mr. Gallagher's work, right? Before this film, I had never heard of this man. So would you put him in the same company as, like, Tim Ritter and, um, fuck, who made uh, the criminally insane movies? Nick Millard? like? How does he compare to those other shot on video guys we've talked about? It certainly has the same shot on video vibe, but I I don't have enough experience in this um, medium to really be able to compare their careers because I've only seen like one film from each of those guys, except for uh, Miller, who I've seen, uh, unfortunately, the sequels to some of his other films. In fact, I've seen more of his than anybody else's, which is kind of sad. Yeah, that is pretty sad. There's only one good film watching there. Anyway, this if you like this one, uh, you should watch the other two as well. They're, they're all similar in style and quality and share some of the same actors and... Um, they're they're like sleazy horror flicks, right? You're going to see gore and you're going to see nudity, and that's really the whole point. And just keep in mind, it's a very amateur production. Yeah, this movie was shot in five days, I think. So real amateur production here. Um, but I find that really charming. How do you feel about it? They shoot a very strange scene in a real graveyard, and I'm not sure if they had permission. Oh, I doubt they did. I doubt they had permission for anything in this movie. You know, it kind of reminds me of what John Waters was doing in the 70s and that they're doing some some fairly transgressive things with like a punk rock attitude that I find really charming when it's done at such a low budget. Like they're basically saying like, fuck you, we're going to make what we want. And I think that's cool. It's endearing to me, even if they're not like the best filmmakers. 
they might not be the best filmmakers, but I mean, the film is consistent throughout the whole the whole runtime. I mean, it has like motifs and themings, and there's moral lessons and twists. Hey, for for shot on video films, the fact that it has a beginning and an ending and it makes sense is <laughs> is a testament to greatness, right? Like, there's a very low bar, and making sense gets you pretty near the top. I don't feel like the bar is that low to the ground, man. I've only been showing you the choice cuts, man. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so there is a world of shot on video stuff out there that is nonsensical. Uh, it, it, wonderfully so. Like, I enjoy that stuff. It, you can go all out bonkers and I'll watch your movie. But um, it's it's not nearly as palatable to a mainstream audience as this, to the degree this would be. Yeah, I don't think this is very palatable to a mainstream audience either. Although I'd imagine there's probably more of a crowd for this now than there would be in the in the early 90s. You think so? I feel like if this movie were to come out now, it would be more palatable or like easier to distribute among like an audience. I mean, obviously the the tones and stuff would be more, you know, 2000s and 90s, but like imagine how you would have to distribute something like this in the early 90s. It would be harder to get it out to an audience whereas like nowadays it's much easier to push your content out uh, to to any kind of audience. Yeah, I mean the number of films that are low budget like that people made, you know, on their own time and shot in 5 days that are on Amazon Prime is kind of crazy to me. Like how much of this stuff is out there now. And on the one hand, that's really cool. Um, on the other, I think there was something really special about a filmmaker having to go to video stores and like peddle his work, which is what happened, I think, with these movies is they released very small numbers. I know this happened with Tim Ritter, put out very small numbers, literally went to video stores and said, will you carry our movie? And I just I think that's awesome. Like that's the the best kind of marketing. I don't know what it is about it. If it's because people are closer to the artworks that they've produced or because I just like the idea of being closer to the artist, like more like some people who are, who I know who are just telling me a story. Um, I just find that really charming. You think that I guess specific, this isn't specific to media, but it will be for this discussion. Do you think the higher barrier to entry created higher quality art or like higher quality works? Or no. do you feel like the fact that you can just upload anything seamlessly now and you don't have to do all that legwork um, makes it so that like even the most mediocre shit can be put out to the public now? I mean, there's definitely a larger amount of stuff, and so there's more dilution now, but there's still really great filmmakers and films that break out from really unexpected places. Like, in 2015, I was blown away by Sean Baker's film Tangerine that he shot on an iPhone, and now that dude makes movies and has a career, and it's because he made an awesome film on an iPhone. 
and it was far better written and acted than a lot of Hollywood mainstream films that year. So I, I just I think that's the kind of film that like you want to break through. And if you didn't have the accessibility of filmmaking devices, like if you couldn't film a movie on an iPhone, um, I think that would be a bad thing. But anyhow, let's uh, anyhow, let's get back to, to Gore Horror. Um, we talked a little bit about Hugh Gallagher. Let's talk about the main actors and then we'll play the trailer. Um, our main character, Don Day, is played by Audrey Street, who was never in anything else. What did you think of Audrey's performance? As soon as you told me this man had like five other films, like the name with the word gore in the title, I just assumed she'd be in all of them. No, this is the only one. That's kind of surprising. Maybe he discovered her later. Like this was his third film or his, it was his fourth film, but it was his third, like in, in what's called the gore trilogy. It it probably doesn't help because this is shut on video, but I got like mad Edith vibes from this girl. I mean, I can see it, but it goes beyond yeah. the face. I think they have the same kind of energy, although it's being like directed differently, like acted differently. It still feels the same to me, though. Yeah, I can definitely see what you mean. There's there's a degree of antisocial behavior that's really evident. But they it feels like they portray it the same way, like as actors. And I don't know if I'm biased because I haven't seen a lot of these shot on video films or if that's actually the case. Yeah, I think it's probably fair that it's actually the case. I, I think there's definitely a similar energy between the two characters. Um, In case you don't know what we're talking about, Edith is the character of um, Criminally Insane, the main character of Criminally Insane. Yeah. Let's kind of jump around and talk briefly about Pat. Pat is the receptionist at the at the police station, and she's played by Delena Tunnel. Did you recognize her? No, but all of I know we're going to talk about the credits, so I'm trying not to overlap here. But it feels like a lot of these actors have either they're using porn names or they're using like inspired by porn industry names that's definitely true there are definitely some names in the credits that i cannot accept as real as in their parents gave them to them but delena tunnel as far as i know that is her real name uh we encountered her before because she was the main character in teenage tupelo i would not have pieced that together oddly enough John Michael um John Michael McCarthy who directed Teenage Tupelo also directed a movie called The Sore Losers which was one of the only movies that Brady Debussy who plays Chase was ever in so there's a weird like incestuous relationship here between a few shot on video filmmakers and some actors that I think is kind of cool what did you think of uh Debussy of Chase the private detective. He he's a detective. Um, <laughs> I think this goes for everybody in the film portraying law enforcement. Didn't feel it. Didn't get those vibes. 
I mean, I know he's technically ex-law enforcement, but that kind of like lifestyle just doesn't leave you because you leave the force. Yeah, I just can't picture him <laughs> having ever been law enforcement. It just doesn't work for me. He he doesn't have the mannerisms. Uh, he doesn't carry himself like you see people do in that industry. It ain't there. It's just such an odd choice. Like, <laughs> it's it's an odd person to choose to play that character. I don't think that's necessarily the problem because not all cops look like cops. Like, you can have people in law enforcement that don't look like match the typical stereotypical uh vision that you imagine all police officers look like from like posters like recruitment posters and shit but no it he just doesn't it doesn't i i did i did not believe it i was not into into his character at any point in the film it goes beyond his look though it's not just about the way he looks or his haircut or lack thereof it's it, it's his persona, it's his energy, it's the way he behaves. Just, I can't read cop there. It doesn't work for me. It does not compute. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. And I'd say the same was true of Delena. Uh, I didn't buy her as, as a copy either. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, one of the things, I I, I think of the three gore trilogy films this is the one i like the best and the reason i like it the best is that i think the characters are more likable now that might say something about the other films and their characters and just how unlikable they are but i do think that even if chase is like weirdly acted or doesn't look the part that he he's he seems like a genuinely good guy. Like I can get behind him as a protagonist. I I'm with him. Yeah. All right. I I can meet you halfway. I did not hate him. <laughs> That's totally fair. The final character we should probably mention is Whitman. He's our scientist, doctor, experimenter, whatever. Essentially, the story is he has invented a serum that looks. Oddly liked the serum from, what's it called? What's the movie I'm thinking of? Reanimator. It looks strangely like the serum from Reanimator. But anyhow, um, it brings dead bodies or parts of bodies or people back to life. And he has reanimated. He reanimated a dead prostitute for himself as a sex slave. But eventually she got sick of his shenanigans and stole the formula and ran off. And now she's reanimating people willy-nilly. And we have a private investigator who's trying to track her down. Is that the plot fair enough? Yep. All right, let's play the trailer and then we'll walk through it.
does that noise trigger you? Should it? I don't know. I was just wondering. Oh no. I know it it bothers some people, like crunching and especially chewing noises. I know bothers some people. Oh no, crunching is is something that doesn't get to me. <laughs> okay. No, my trigger noise is like when uh, you rub on a balloon. Uh, I don't like that noise, but I wouldn't say it triggers me. It, it it really just affects me like the first couple times I hear it, and then I like adapt, and I'm good for a while. For me, it's the sound of a shovel on ice or cement. I can't well, take it. As a Floridian, I don't know what shovel on ice sounds like. I have shoveled my fair share of driveways and chiseled my car out of blocks of ice and done all of it. And I don't really even mind the cold or the snow. I will happily do those things. It's just the noise that bothers me. Anyhow, I do want to talk about the credits, but not just the names. Let's talk about the imagery. So we basically have a bunch of tied up women with a big black dildo that like floats around the screen. All right. What what were your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thought is, you know, you see the these pictures of bondage like transposed over some large black shape and like maybe two seconds, three seconds into this, you're like, is that a dildo? And it is, unsurprisingly, a giant black dildo. And it <laughs> floats around the credits uh, background um, as if it's like a 2001 monolith or something. <laughs> yeah, it's very... um. It's very Windows 95 wallpaper. <laughs> Screensaver. But um, but no, so let's... Uh, can you read off some of the names? They have it going all sorts of ways. They have it going from, like, bottom to top. They have it going straight to the camera. They have it, like, rotating like it's a fucking hot dog at a 7-Eleven, like, rotisserie. <laughs> My favorite is when it starts at the bottom and it slowly rises to the top. But anyhow, can um, will you read some of the names from the credits? Where do we start? All right. Um, Just focus on the most surprising ones. And if any of these people are listening, or if any of you know these people, tell them to reach out because I, I want to interview them. Looking through the front credits, I think most of the weird names are the bands where they source the music but you do get a lot of the weirder names in the end credits but just yeah the more like technical roles right not the actors yeah yeah well, let's just start with the music so <laughs> we have um you know some of these bands just sound like you know normal i shouldn't say normal but you know like dive dive bar music music bands that sort of thing like Cyclops Joint, The Sacred Cows, Meat Yard. But then you have stuff like Jesus Penis. I do remember Jesus Penis. Um, Yohimbi Orchestra. I don't know what that is, but it's probably not great. <laughs> uh, my favorite one is Festula Mucosis. <laughs> I'm assuming this is a play on words, right? Like, it's a Fistula 
with mucus, but it's a festival. I'm guessing. Celebrating a fistula. Yeah, I'm guessing that's what they're going for. I'm not familiar with them. Which, for those who don't know, a fistula is a type of injury that (laughs) creates um, a connection between two orifices on your body or two chambers on your body that shouldn't be there. So um, I think a really common one is if a woman has a very traumatic childbirth, it can open up a tear between the vaginal wall and her rectum. That would be a fistula. To give you an idea of what they probably named themselves after. Yeah, way too much detail for video store nightmares. <laughs> what what oh, about the what we, about these names? Well, child murder and like serial sexual battery, but no, we, they, we put away the medical dictionary. That's too far. It's too close to home. Let's put it that way. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were a fistula sufferer. I'm just saying it could enter the realm of my life. And I suspect that like, you know, the Sumatran rat monkey is not going to show up at the local zoo. And then, of course, at the very end of this, like, very eccentric name of of musicians, it just ends with Terminus. (laughs) (laughs) But getting to to some of the names on on the staff, um, Dingo Jones, Lame Brain, (laughs) one word. So (laughs) Lame Brain cannot be a real person, right? My favorite is uh, Shane B. Hangin. Anyway, so like a a very wide cast of characters was brought together for this film. Oh, and it bothers. I love this in the the end credits. It bothers to reference where some of the samples of the music were pulled from. I think, and it's it actually has a a name called the bureaucracy of hope. And there's a PO box. I wonder if it's still in service. I wonder. I have no idea. But it's there. Write to them in Houston, Texas, if you want to send them a send them a letter. We should from Video Store Nightmares. I might try it out. I'll let you, uh, listeners. I'll update you on how it went. But I wanted to mention I I watched another of Hugh Gallagher's films earlier, uh, Garotica, and at the end of those credits, they have a message. You know. movies often have a message that says like any resemblance to real persons is strictly coincidental. You know, that message. Yeah. It basically has that, but then it says, and frankly would be alarming if if there were a similarity. I was like, that's fair. (laughs) One of the songs in this movie is titled psychiatric care for geese. Yeah, that's a great title. It's a it's an amazing title. Yeah, it sounds like the I I really like like avant garde jazz and stuff, and ty, uh, songs frequently have titles like that. But uh, the they are they are probably second to the world of like heavy metal and punk music for coming up with cool titles. Anyway, let's talk about the film. Um, the beginning scene. This girl brings a guy home, and as soon as they walk in the door, she puts on music, and she starts to strip and ties him to the bed. 
what were you thinking at that? What was your first impression of Don Day? I think it's pretty apparent right out the gate that this is this is a prostitute, or at least the I, movie wants you to believe that. Right. I think the movie wants us to believe that. I think it's apparent out the gate that she has some sort of ill intention. Oh, for sure. I mean, she's saying absolutely nothing during this, and it's kind of like a mixture of like, is this ominous buildup, or is she just sort of, you know, going through the motions? Yeah, she pushes him onto the bed, and we keep seeing flashes of him making like goofy facial expressions while she dances. Um, but eventually, he asks her to stop, and he's like, "Can you put on a condom?" or you know put a condom on me first and she says i don't think it's going to work and that's when she bites his dick off yo you see a surprising amount of dick in this film not real dicks though i think they're clear what maybe some of them are real dicks i some of the flashes are but i think anytime gore is involved it's a prosthetic Uh, obviously okay i don't think they're actually chopping dicks off but I think all of the nudity is genuine. I agree with that. No, I mean, where, where, what are you gonna, where are you gonna source chop dicks, man? Where, where are you gonna get them? <laughs> totally fair. Not fair like you point. Can go to butcher shop and get a pig dick and pull it off. Like it, 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 nothing, nothing looks like it. There's no analog. Well, speaking of the the not real dick that she bites off. Uh, she proceeds to bite a chunk out of his neck, too. What I think is incredible is that she chomped right through the dick in one bite. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, you you can you can bite a dick off, right? Like, that's totally possible. But I don't think it would be this clean. What I'm saying is this woman has amazing jaw strength. Did you notice that the... Um... Did you see that the um that the film was dedicated to Lorena Bobbitt? Yes, that was at the very end. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. If I mean, you do, if you don't know, Lorena Bobbitt is the woman who is most famous for having cut her husband's dick off after well, preceding a divorce, an eventual divorce, but that happened in the early 90s before this movie came out. It was pretty big in pop culture at the time. She threw the dick into some woods and it was never recovered. No, I actually read about this. They recovered it and surgically reattached it, and he went on to be in a porn movie called Frankenpenis. Yeah, no, they um they attached it, and he says it's fully functional. He's been in several porn 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 films. Hmm. Anyhow, um, we meet our main character, whose name is Chase. He's the private investigator, and. This guy has come to hire him. He says that his assistant has stolen his formula and all of his documents, and he's going to pay her, pay him $10,000 now and $10,000 after he's found the documents and the formula. But Chase is not supposed to ask any questions. Did any of this um, feel real to you? No, this man has no idea how... Money works. I think that's the best way to put it. He approaches this private investigator in a shady ass bar who is not interested at all. I know. Taking his but... job. And so instead of being like, okay, I need to find someone who's going to take me seriously, 
he just says, here's like $10,000. Still help me. When really this, this guy could just take that 10K and run. Yeah, and it probably would have been smarter too. Yeah. No, so that that did not feel very genuine. It kind of feels like a community theater effort. Yeah, right? this does not have like 20K to just spend, right? Like we see his house. Like this isn't some like big like corporate laboratory work. He's just doing shit out of his garage. Yeah. And um I just feel like 20k assuming this guy was actually going to pay the other 10k would be like a severely financial loss even if it meant getting the serum back. I mean presumably he invented the serum he can just make some more yeah there's also that but we also don't know how he made it right well and i also assume he's worried about like the copyright for it and all of that that now she has a competing claim to it but like she can't make it either no i guess there could have been a subplot where she like takes it to some sort of competitor but since this guy isn't corporate like who do you take it to She's also we have to we have to grant she's probably not the smartest character, right? Like she is granted immortality and what she does with it is go around and bite guys dicks off as like a form of revenge on the men who used her. She could be taking the formula to a competitor and making millions of dollars. Uh more than millions, but I think the bigger issue is not only is she doing it for revenge but it's necessary so there's two catches to this immortality one you have to get a weekly dose of this green shit and then two you have to get a day's worth of blood every day to maintain uh, i'm assuming the full effect of the immortality serum so she's not just biting these dudes' dicks off for revenge. She also just needs like a daily dose of blood to keep it going, which, you know, would make it difficult to market this as a product. I mean, not even considering the societal woes that would occur from people not dying, right? Like, we, this ain't that, this, this ain't Shattered Dead. True, but you could take this to a pharmaceutical company and be like, look, guys, right now it has this terrible side effect that I need you to help me with, as in get me daily doses of blood. But I'm sure you all can work around that somehow, figure out a way to edit that out of the process, and we can have a flawless, uh, ageless, age-defying rejuvenation technique, right? That's what a smart person would have done. Yeah, but you know what the workaround would have been? It would have been just like clandestinely kill homeless people and prostitutes and people no one cares about to to fuel the fucking industry for like the top 1%. This would be like such a classist thing. Maybe that would happen. But do you really think that Don Day is going to stop because of these ethical reservations? She, like, the whole point of her revenge is that she's getting she's like pushing this vengeance on people who are using the downtrodden, the forgotten people that they first, that they saw as less than human. And by putting herself in that system, she would be a giant hypocrite. That's true. 
I'm just trying to think of what's the most irrational. But you're right. This doesn't seem sustainable. And like, let's say she went to, I don't know, like Monsanto or something. And like, I was actually able to get a sit down meeting where she could demonstrably show this off in a way that everyone believed it and, and observed that this is real, right? They don't really need her at that point outside of maybe as a guinea pig. Like, what's to stop them from just keeping her as a test subject and then she's back at square one while they try to deduce the formula? That's true. And I guess she really doesn't have any claim to it. She can't say, like, she invented it. Like, we're not dealing with nice people here. We're dealing with capitalists. They're assholes. <laughs> yeah, well, do you think Don Day is that much better? I think the only person in this movie that's, like... At least the audience can narratively stand behind vengeance. Like, maybe in actuality, maybe not. Most people don't have the strength to pull the trigger. But from, like, the safety of, you know, of watching this film from behind a screen or in front of a screen, uh, we can, as the audience, at least kind of get behind what she's doing. Except for, like, the one random woman she kills in the house. Yeah, well, that woman wants to hire her, right? So what, everybody who wants to hire a sex worker is a is like fucking scum of the earth? In this world, I guess so. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree. I'm saying that's how Don Day sees it. But I found the only person in the film to be sympathetic was the was Chase, the private investigator. He's even got a I'm trying to kill I'm trying to kick my alcoholism habit uh side plot going on. So I found him sympathetic, but I guess not believable. There's nothing to really hate about him because he's so vanilla. He is very vanilla. We don't find out anything about his personality. He exists solely to solve this crime. His character flaws is that he like really considered suicide one time. He really misses his ex-lover who is dead. And he drinks and smokes. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. I'm not saying we need every character in every movie to be like an asshole in some way to make them harder to relate to. But this guy is comparatively speaking for what we normally cover on this show, like very vanilla. Well, he's spying on Dawn as she's at this woman's house who hired her. And, uh, I don't understand a word that this woman says during the entire scene. I think the audio quality is just so bad that it's incomprehensible. Maybe the Blu-ray is better. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know if this is a problem with like the original film. Or maybe this is a problem with the bootleg rip. But there's a almost throughout the entire film in any dialogue scene there's like a a whooshing wind noise as if you're if if you had like an oscillating fan in your ear the entire time you're watching this film and someone's talking i think it's because they don't have people mic'd i think they just have a mic set up in like the middle of the room and so it could literally be like a ceiling fan but while this is happening while she's talking with this incomprehensible woman uh, the detective decides he's going to go search her house. And 
her house is like absurdly overgrown with ivy, including inside of the house. I actually thought this was kind of cool. Do you think it's just like an abandoned house that she moved into? Or do you think that she just let her house get so overgrown? This is a small town, right? Like a very small town. Yeah. You would, it seems that way. It's kind of conceivable that she could die and then her property just becomes forgotten because she lives so far out in the woods. No one goes to check on her. That said, the refrigerator has power, so someone's paying utilities. True. Yeah. So let's say you're dead. Do you care? (laughs) Do you care about the state of your house? I guess not, especially if you can like never be home because you have to be out constantly seducing people to kill. Yeah, man, I hate it when the foliage starts to grow in through my windows, you know? Hey, maybe she likes it. I think it looks cool. Maybe she like left a window open for months and then a vine just grew in and this that's how it starts. Well, she was dead for a while and then she was being kept as a sex slave. So she probably was gone a pretty long time. Does it ever say how long she she was dead for, like before she was brought back? No, it doesn't. I don't think it does anyway. It doesn't like have zombie vibes. You feel like she'd be a little bit more desiccated or something. And we know that you can be desiccated. Like it doesn't make you youthful because we see some desiccated zombies. Yeah, so like withered traditional green mask zombies and suits that they were buried in. It seems. It seems like Shatter Dead, where you still maintain some of your personality and like functionality, uh, but you just, um, but if something happens to you, if you're injured, it it's it remains. Yeah, but I I don't think there's a lot of consistency here with world building. Their zombies, I think they just want to show off zombies. Oh, oh, I totally agree. Um. None of this feels very necessary to the plot. <laughs> I have this movie playing in the background and where he's like rummaging through the house full of like plants. At one point, he picks up the phone and calls the doctor to give him updates. Uh-huh. Someone's like waving a fern in the background to, to make it look like it's blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he's calling the the doctor to try to he's basically like tell me what's going on, like what's really going on because every time he discovers something it gets weirder, but the doctor won't give him a straight story. So instead he goes to the police station and this is where we meet Pat, his like she's is she's a cop but she's also like the receptionist, right? I mean some departments have um they're not they have like their civilian staff like non-sworn personnel or whatever you want to call it wear uniforms like official looking shit i mean in this case she has like the whole fucking get up with like the usa patch and um and like a police like fucking chevron on the other shoulder um but yeah i never quite figured out if she was supposed to be like a police officer or just like a fucking secretary. She doesn't strike me as a police officer. She doesn't she doesn't no. seem very neither knowledgeable. Does, but neither does Chase, right? So No. <laughs> no. What's great about the scene is they go through a significant amount of trouble. Once she hops onto the computer to look up Dawn Day's info, they show like the monitor 
right? That they're looking at the monitor and they actually uh-huh. to do special effects that to, to show their reflection as if they're looking at a monitor when it's like, you know, not actually a monitor. It's just like special effects to make it look like a computer. Uh-huh. I thought that was an interesting like graphic. Like they went through all that trouble to to show the, like their fake reflection off the monitor. Do you think it's just that their reflection was actually in the special effect, like whatever this was it's, that they were holding up? No, because this is the same. This is a still image. This monitor is like a still image. Yeah, it looks like a big photograph that they printed off. Yeah, and they, all they did was like superimpose the previous shot. It's the same angle. In fact, they didn't even reverse it. It's the same. They just realized they didn't reverse it. Because <laughs> if this was an actual reflection, he would be on the other side. You're right. <laughs> so, like, they went through all the trouble to do this. I mean, they forgot to fucking flip it, but <laughs> they went through the trouble. And I thought that was really interesting. That is bizarre. It's like four seconds long. But anyway, they find out that Don Day was arrested a bunch for prostitution, for petty theft, um, but she's also deceased, and that her body was given to scientific experimentation. (laughs) (laughs) Is Is that something that the police would have a record of? I don't think so, unless it was, like, the end of a report. Like, like... No, I don't I don't think that would happen. I mean, I th- I would think that you would track where the body went, like maybe it went to a certain medical facility, but then it would stop there. You would only care about that if you were like an investigator writing a murder report, like a homicide report or if um if maybe if you're responding to like a deceased person at a, at a property that may have died of natural causes. And then you might say like in your report, you know, Hey, transported to such and such facility by such and such. But I'm positive that for the most part, it's more important for, you know, fire EMS that, you know, the medical side to carry specific documentation as to where bodies are being transported, but no one's sure as fuck being transported straight to some kind of body farm. (laughs) Or like a (laughs) some kind of weird ass lab for experimentation. Yeah, I have other questions about how it works in real life, but I won't go on a big tangent. Uh, I just know that it definitely doesn't work here. Um, How 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 do you imagine this Google search went for this this doctor? Right, where he's like, man, I have some experiments, but like I need bodies. He's like, how to get bodies donated to science (laughs) probably the same way he found a private investigator (laughs) because he didn't find the best one right like this is the bottom of the barrel guy that nobody cares about because he's drunk all the time you this is not the guy you hire if you don't care about secrecy or you're on the up and up he's a damn good private investigator he, he is doing that voice the whole time, isn't he? Yeah. He is the job done. It's kind of obnoxious, the voice. But this is where in the next scene, um, 
he's spying on her in a cemetery. And this is when we see the giant black dildo for the first time because she's putting it on the tip of a syringe and filling it with green goo and injecting herself with it while she's sitting out in the cemetery. She doesn't give a shit. This is what I'm talking about. Like, it, this cemetery doesn't look like it has a groundskeeper, right? It looks very neglected. Yeah, it's very small. It it looks it looks like a neglected neighborhood cemetery. Yeah. I would imagine that if the cemetery actually had somebody who watched it, they would not have allowed this to happen if they could help it. Oh, I'm sure. Who wants to allow a a, a f- footage like this filmed on top of their dead loved ones? I'm not saying I mind. Like you, you can be as blasphemous as you want, and I'll support you. But yeah, I can imagine they had to jump some fences to get permission, or you know, avoid it. We're not judging here. No, of course not. Damn the man. But she hides the formula after she's done with it, and I guess she's hiding it in a tomb, right? Yeah, she's hiding it in somebody's tomb. And uh, when our investigator goes to investigate it, the body in the grave comes alive and tries to grab it from him. And there's a zombie that attacks him and he has to fight him off. I like that the zombies in the movie are really pitiful. Like, I think they're the way they would be in real life where they're not strong at all. You could easily like just push them over it seems like that's how a real zombie would be. Except um, after he escapes to his car, he drives into one to, while getting away, and this zombie is so strong that he manages to stay on the hood of the car. I don't know. He could just have a good grip. Yeah, because he's strong. <laughs> okay. Normally, you can't really do this. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't I think really think of that as a... They could do the special effect, right? Like, they have the special harness that goes under the hood of the car. Right. I'm there. I think they just really wanted to show that off. Like, hey, we can do it. Well, I think it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool scene. I, I'm never bored in this movie. Like, I feel like any time it might get boring, they inject something like this that, yeah, it's, like, stereotypical and uh, derivative, but it's still fun. I'm a little perplexed on the setup for this next gag, though. Yeah, I I don't understand the logistics of this at all. Or why you would want it in your movie. Like, it's, it's like it's out of a different movie. It's a weird, like, throwaway gag. Do you want to describe the setup? We have this intense scene of, you know, Chase driving his fucking Corvette down a dirt road with a zombie pound on the hood. And then it just completely switches to a, I'm assuming, hot pink beetle disabled on the side of the road where a guy then kind of just looks around. I'm not even sure if this is the vehicle owner. Sees the vehicle climbs inside pulls out a porn magazine and uh, just leans back and starts to masturbate very awkwardly it is very awkward 
there's almost more setup here. Like we described, I described it quickly, but there's more setup here than the zombie getting put on the hood of the car. Oh, far more setup here. <laughs> it's really strange um, how much like weight is put into the setup. That's why it's so mystifying, because it has nothing to do with the movie. The movie is not overly comedic. There are comedic bits and aspects, but this seems like an extended comedy sequence that I, someone thought up and couldn't let go, even though it doesn't fit in the movie. But then we switch back to Chase, who's not paying attention to the road because he can't really see. He hits the beetle. The zombie flies off the hood of the car into the swamp. The beetle then also rolls, actually rolls off the fucking road into the, God, into a trench, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, Chase looks at the zombie. The zombie seems to be out. And then he just fucks off. Meanwhile, Masturbator and the beetle climbs out with his dick in his hand, detached from the rest of his body. We're now up to two severed penises. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know how it happens. I think they wanted to reuse the severed penis for something. They're like, we went through all this trouble to make a severed dick. Can we at least use it another time? I think somebody... it, I don't know. Somebody had the idea that this was really clever, that this was a really clever gag, that it would really... I don't know, hit with the audience and it just had to be in the movie. <laughs> I I don't know. It you doesn't see, work for me. Watch this guy's other stuff. How many severed dicks are we talking about here? Um, I don't remember any other severed dicks, but there is a trend throughout his movie of BDSM with women in dominant positions. Like, hitting men or degrading men or what have you like the his first um the first movie in his his trilogy gorgasm is about this uh dominatrix that offers the ultimate sexual climax that being death so it's like she's a dominatrix that kills you that so you know similar similar territory as this okay so Dawn is there after this accident and she grabs the formula from him. Can we play the monologue here that she gives? Whitman put you up to this, didn't he? Son of a bitch. He's just like the rest. Everyone wants to have power. And they don't care what they have to do to achieve it. For years, I fucked and sucked every lousy Tom, Dick, and Harry for a couple lousy bucks so they could dominate another human. Their wives kicked their asses. Their girlfriends kicked their asses. But when they got their cheap little $20 whore, they were big macho guys. They didn't care that I was hungry. They didn't care that I was sick. All they cared about was putting me in my place, making sure I knew who the boss was. All my life, they had control, but in my death, the tables are turned, and paybacks are a What's incredible is that throughout this scene, she has the giant dildo syringe in her hand and is like plopping it in her palm. 
<laughs> but yo, rewatching this, she has that criminally insane woman's same speech cadence. It's uncanny. I definitely see the similarity. There's an there's an inflection. There's a uh, dialect or something that's similar. Yeah, I I'm convinced now they are very similar in style. Like both of them as people are very similar. We see she has the dead body in the trunk. Is this the guy whose dick she bit off? Yes, from the beginning of the film. And she injects his mouth with the dildo syringe. And then she injects his ass with the dildo syringe so that both sides will come back to life. And she leaves him there with the investigator. This is not much of a fight, though. Like, this this zombie is especially pitiful. I don't know if she thought it was going to be a distraction or if she thought it was actually going to kill the detective or what. But... He kills it with a stick. Like, look, it realistically here, right? If she had this detective by the balls, she would have just fucking killed him. She wouldn't have left him here. But then the movie would be over. Where do you go from here? Right. I got Real- the... Realistically, this guy should be dead anyway. We didn't mention it, but after he knocks the zombie off the hood of his car, another zombie who was just in the backseat of the car the entire time doing nothing comes up and chomps his neck for like a good minute. He should be dead from that. Well, that is a good point to mention though. I don't think zombieism is contagious in this movie. Like just because you're bit doesn't mean you become a zombie. No, but like, dude, if you have someone like chewing, eating your neck for like a minute straight, you're probably going to die. Like, something and you're going to bleed out you even hear chomping noises <laughs> like, and, the, and like the sound design is really intense and this is a movie where we've already established that dawn maybe she's different can just like immediately kill someone with one bite oh yeah she's uh she's got like razor sharp teeth she's got zombies and lucio fulci zombie teeth they can pull out windpipes and everything. But yeah, he uh, he then has to fight off a headless zombie. And they do some cool stuff with, I'm um, assuming, a green screen to like sh- kind of show the um, this guy running around without a head. Yeah, I imagined it might be like you don't think it was the guy with like a false neck, like in his head ducked down. Uh, it could have been. But when we actually see the shot of the headless zombie kicking the investigator on the ground, you it's clearly not outside. It's it's filmed with a green screen. Or like uh, in the 90s, it would have been a blue screen. Yeah. But it, it, it's like they just kind of transpose some woods behind him as he's like roaming around kicking the investigator. That's... um. No, you're you're totally right. I hadn't noticed that, but that makes total sense. So they shot these special effects like in two different spots, probably because they were actually out in the middle of. I don't know where this was filmed. It might be on somewhere on the east coast, if I had to guess. But if you're actually out there in the middle of summer in the fucking woods, like trying to do actual special effects out there would be a pain in the ass. 
especially if you're taking like people in suits and fucking fake gore and all that shit. So they did like, fuck it. We're not going back out there. Green screen it. Well, after he kills the zombie with the stick, he stumbles home and. Oh, wait, uh, wait, wait. He fucking punts the head. Oh, yeah. He says something like, uh, you don't forget being the star football captain or something like that. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's really bad. It's a really bad line. Because he just like he doesn't look like a detective, he doesn't look like the high school quarterback. I'm sorry if I'm typecasting. He just doesn't give me that vibe. But head gets punted into a swamp. And then he um, stumbles back to the to Delena's house, the receptionist at the police station, and lets himself in and collapses. And when he wakes up, he has this monologue about how bad his life is. Wait, we're just going to completely skip the fact that she's showering when he breaks and enters into her apartment and she's the uh, person to shower with no curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't think the shower was nearly as important as what he says in the morning, but no, it I, is very important to mention that she showers without a shower curtain. <laughs> this is a major character flaw for people who like, you know, Dry bathroom floors, yes. This is a very big issue. <laughs> well, can we play the monologue he gives in the morning? We are in hell right now. Can you imagine anything worse? You know, some people die, loved ones leave, force yourself to do things you don't want to do just to survive. Wars, lunatics, incurable diseases. I can't imagine anything worse. Except to be reincarnated. I have to live it again. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that's what will happen. I'm not going to face pain like that again. So you shut everyone out and hide in the bottle? It's safe there. No one can touch you. And if they do, you'll forget about it the next day. You heard it from Chase. This is the bad place. <laughs> yeah, but they find out from she remembers that another another police officer told her that Don used to be a groupie for this band and that they're performing in a bar nearby. And so they go to check it out. And sure enough, she's the only person there in the bar dancing while they play. I thought that was pretty funny. This band is called the Third Graders. Yeah, and they fight over who gets to sleep with Dawn first. Like, they all want to sleep with her. It's just about the order. And so she suggests they play Spin the Dawn with her as the bottle, essentially, and spin her around to see who gets to go first. The logistics of this would never work. No, it's just like it, they act like it's Wheel of Fortune where you can just spin the legs and it's going to whirl around on the floor in an even circle. And that's how it works out in the scene. Right. But she ends up killing all of them, right? Yes. My notes make a jump to where she's bringing them back to life, but I assume that in the middle she kills them. Well, as one guy starts to whip his dick out, um, she pulls out 
the Chase's service revolver that she took off of him um, in the swamp and uh, shoots him. I'm surprised she didn't shoot him in the dick. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I expected more dick injuries. Two was not enough. We need to keep going. But this is the uh, this is the band that Dawn loves, and she's killing them. I found that kind of ironic. Well, I mean, they did sort of use her, right? True, but she also kind of asked for it. Victim blaming on my podcast? No, I don't mean that she's inviting rape. I mean that she literally asked them to pl- to play Spin the Dawn with her. This time. True. Because this is the revenge arc. Gotcha. Probably All right. She was just like here at this dive bar to get away from her woes and then got used by these guys in the past. Okay, I missed that aspect, that she had been, like, abused by them in the past or something. That's what I assumed. Okay, I missed that part. But that makes sense. That get, that makes it more justified. I don't think you need much justification to shoot these guys. No, that's true. <laughs> they're, they're not even a good band. No. Could you tell what the lyrics... Could you tell the lyrics... From no, but I'm terrible at that. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because you know all the dialogue sounds like it's you know coming from an air hockey table. Chase and the and Delena bust in, and uh, Delena ends up getting killed. Right? That was shocking. <laughs> it's really badly done too. <laughs> yeah, I expected her to survive, and um. So he shoots Dawn, and she's down for now, and he goes to see the doctor who explains the whole thing about the formula having to be injected once a week and the person needing a daily dose of blood, and that's where Dawn shows up again and somehow knocks out the investigator and starts to strangle the doctor before the before Chase wakes up and chops her head off with an axe. I like how he swings down, but then her head is cut off laterally. Yeah, but otherwise, I thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, no. It's pretty well done. And this entire garage are great. Yeah. But uh, he uses the formula to to bring the doctor back to life and then chops off his legs, which I didn't really understand as a form of revenge. So he couldn't get away. Because then after he drops the doctor's legs off, he tumbles Dawn's head down the stairs after him. No, I I get that. I just don't... Starts to beat him. I don't know. What did the doctor do that was... Like, the doctor didn't do anything to Chase. The only thing we know that he did bad was keep Dawn as a sex slave. So Chase can't be upset over that? Because it didn't really affect him? He can. It's just that the the cutting off of the legs doesn't match the crime, right? Like it would be one thing if he cut his dick off and just, you know, keep piling on the dicks because that would at least be appropriate. Right. But the legs just seem to random. So chase who was lined up to be police captain, who was head of the football team in school also needs to have some sort of literature degree so that he could get his, his his what like just literal punishments correct against his adversaries 
yes, damn it. The film should be literate. We we need more like poetic justice. Yes, exactly. I um, de- I demand literacy in my films. Oh, sorry. This is the real world where we have our police detectives chop off the legs of their clients and dump them in a fucking basement where they can then be devoured by a severed vampire head. <laughs> and then he does this. This was a, a stroke of genius, I thought. He dug up his ex-wife or girlfriend, <laughs> Susan. And injects her with the formula. And then just immediately kisses her right out of the coffin. Yeah, <laughs> she's been dead for years, right? <laughs> she's probably going to look like one of those fucking green masks of zombies from like halfway through the film. <laughs> yeah, like one of the zombies from the video dead. <laughs> like that. That's how I picture her. Yeah, I guess we could say Chase has some big love goggles on right now. Hey, I liked it. I did think this was a poetic ending. It, that was the best way for this film to end. It really was. And it's so dark. Like, I like how dark this movie is. Even though it tries to be funny in some places, and I don't think the humor really works, the darkness does. And it it's nowhere near like Shatter Dead in terms of it's, um, it's not as thoughtful as Shatter Dead. But it's it's similar in its tone, I think. I suppose. They both feel very 90s. Yes, they both are very 90s. Yeah, so I think that has a lot to do with it. But anyhow, anything else before we get to final thoughts? I like how Chase shaves before he goes out to reincarnate his dead wife. Well, of course you have to. You want your cheeks to be smooth. For your decaying loved one. There's only so much of this formula in existence. And now the only guy who can make it is presumably dead. This is see, this is a very temporary ending. Yeah. See, if he had if he had like cut off the guy's leg and then tied him to a chair and been like, you are going to keep making formula for me. That would have made sense. But just cutting off the legs and leaving him in the basement, that just doesn't make sense to me doesn't ring true you know what you're right because you bring the doctor back and you're like look now you have to create more of this stuff to keep yourself alive so exactly that would have made a lot of sense yeah and you know emotions just get the best of you sometimes and you just start chopping limbs off (laughs) i guess so just can't stop that right no not always All right, let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four. About the first quarter of this film, I was maybe a a little bit on the fence about it, but it does get better. And as as a whole, I think it's a a nice, cohesive enough of a a piece to enjoy. Um, I'm still very confused as to why the whole Pink Beetle thing was in the film but otherwise this was pretty well put together for a shot on video film um the audio quality for the dialogue um is regrettable there are there are scenes where you can't tell where people are saying 
Again, though, I don't know if this is a problem with the bootleg because this movie is so hard to get a hold of or if this was just a problem with the original production. But um, this is a film where dialogue is mostly optional in a lot of scenes. You're, you're mostly here for the the visual journey. Um, I suppose if I had a literature degree myself, I could probably compare chase's journey to someone like um some mythical figure like odysseus or some shit and like really bring this review around but i can't because i don't have a literature degree i guess like chase i also would have chopped off the doctor's legs and thrown both of them into the basement not really thought about what would have been better till afterwards They do a great job with like amateur special effects and shit. It, you know, you can poke holes in the script all day. I mean, it's amateur writing uh, that, you know, when Chase comes out of the woods to um, Delena's apartment and he passes out in the hallway, the next scene is basically him just instantly snapping awake in the in like a, a living room chair and talking as if he had not been unconscious for a long amount of time. And, uh, you know, at first it's, it's like, man, who writes that kind of script? But about a year ago, I watched Tenet for the first time, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And I shit you not, if you have not seen this film, there are not one, not two, but three scene transitions that involve the main character being knocked unconscious to take him to the next set piece. So it's really not as bad as if, as you'd think when that happens in a movie of, uh, triple a caliber is tenant two stars for this not tenant right not tenant no um yeah i think you've really got to grade this one on curve it was shot on five day in five days on a micro budget it stars mostly people who didn't have much of an acting career and if they did it was for other low budget indie horror directors um um, you know with Hugh Gallagher what you're getting if you've seen his other films, and you should. You should watch you should watch them as a family, I think. Um, they really do go together tonally and um substantively, and I, I think it, it just makes a great triple feature. But anyway, the so grading it on a curve, you know, I just look of look at it like this is a group of friends who are getting together to tell me a story. Are they entertaining me? And they are. This is an entertaining movie to me. I'm not bored with it at all. I think the gore is cool. I think it's kind of funny. And um, I have a good time watching it. So I'm going to give it two and a half. Two and a half stars. Almost a three, except there's like a lot of ineptitude here, especially in the writing. But, you know, you got to take it for what it is. So two and a half. All right, next week, we're going back to the 70s. If you wanted your human experiments to be a bit more gruesome, then we're going to give it to you with Mansion of the Doomed from 1976. Have you ever seen this one or heard of this one? Nope. It's. It, have you seen um, Eyes Without a Face? Isn't there a, a song? There that? is. There yeah. is a, a song, yeah. I'm familiar with the song, <laughs> not the movie. Well... Eyes Without a Face was a, a 1960s French film um, about a surgeon who 
accidentally disfigures his daughter and then begins to try to steal people's faces to recover it. This is like that only with eyes specifically. So it, it actually gets pretty gruesome. I might have heard of this, but I haven't seen it. Mansion of the Doomed from 1976. Oh, it has Lance Hendrickson. It does. Yes. Wow. Okay. This is actually he, on YouTube. He's very young. He's very young in it. He, Al Pereira, too. He's also very young in it. He. It has Vic Tabak in it, who was the detective in Blood and Lace, our very first episode. Wow. Yeah. So unlike the last two episodes, you can actually watch this one. Yeah. Reasonably. Um, it's it's on YouTube, and at that point, probably Tubi as well, but I haven't looked. All right, cool. So everyone check out, if you haven't already, Mansion of the Doomed from 1976. It really is, like, if you're at all squeamish about, like, eyes, the, this movie is going to put you on edge. Oh, it's also got Gloria Graham from Blood and Lace in it. I almost forgot about that. Um, what a throwback. Yeah, this is. This is very on brand for us. So um, everybody enjoy it and join us next week to talk about it. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. We'll talk to you all next week about Mansion of the Doomed. Until then, everyone have a good one.